the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 25. You guys remember last time, what we saw was that David the prophet was extreme, was working for, some, for a man called Nabal. And we saw that Nabal did not want to pay him. And he treated his men very bad. And we saw that David had 600 people that were going to kill Nabal. And we saw that in the way of David coming to kill Nabal and his family, we saw that his wife was very, very wise. Her name was Abigail. She went and she met David halfway. And last time we said the whole act of Abigail reminds us of what's the, a good way to offer an apology or what's a good way to calm somebody who's angry. And last time we looked, we looked about a few things. Number one, we saw that before she goes to meet David, she sent him gifts. So sometime when I am going to apologize to somebody or I'm going to their house, it is nice, I come with a nice gift. Second thing, when she saw David the prophet, she got off from her donkey, she came at his knees, and she told him, allow me to speak. I mean, obviously, he was coming to kill them. So she's trying to calm down a very angry person at this moment. And then she told him, what happened is my fault. Even though what happened was not her fault, but she told him, when your servants came, I was not there. If I was there, I would have done something different. So she looked at something where she can admit whatever possible mistake she can. She did not, by the way, admit a mistake that she did not do. She only admitted the part that she felt could be a responsibility, even though it's not significant. And now she told him, Nabal, my husband, has a weakness. He's not very wise. The Bible described him not very wise. So sometimes when you apologize to somebody, be like, you know, every person has weakness. And this person also has weakness. You have weakness, I have weakness. And sometimes that calms people down. Now also we said the other side of the apology was she started reminding David of who he is. She told him, you David, you're not used to avenge for yourself. You are a child of God. You're a servant of God. You only fight the battles of the Lord. You don't fight your own battle. And she told him, everybody knows that David, there's no evil found in him. So if everybody knows that you're good, why would you do something bad? Why would you go kill Nabal? Remember last time I was telling you, an element of justice means that the, the punishment should be proportional to the action. And if the punishment is not proportional to the action, that's an unjust action. So David, his men did not pay him, Nabal did not pay him a salary. It's not enough of an, a cost for him to go kill him and all his household. It's not, it's, not an, it's not a proportional action. So we stopped last time at verse 27 when she came and she told him, David, you offer you do, you do fight for the Lord. You are a child of God. Why would you do anything like this? Look, we're starting now in verse 29. She said, Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the, with, in the, living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemy he shall sling out as from the pocket of a, sl of a sling. She's telling him, look. There's another aspect to her apology, to trying to calm him down. She told him, don't forget that God is in control. Don't forget that God is the one who takes vengeance. In life and on earth, it's almost impossible to achieve perfect justice because we live in, in an imperfect world. But she's reminding him that God is in control. And showed him the same God that is in control, he will protect your life from those who are trying to compare you, uh, to, uh, from those who are trying to kill you. That's what she's trying to tell him. And then she told him something beautiful. She told him, because you are in the hands of God, all your enemies will be destroyed. But then she, she told him, see the image that she told him? They will be destroyed like what? Like a sling out from a pocket of a, uh, like a, a slinging out of a pocket of a sling. You guys remember how did David kill Goliath? It was with a sling. So she's reminding him, you know how God destroyed 
his enemy through your hand, God will destroy your enemy. Obviously, by the way, we as Christian believe that our enemy is the devil, not a human being. We don't have enmity with people. We have enmity with the devil. We have enmity with the desires of the world, the lust of the world, the, the pride of the eyes. That's what we have enmity with. So he's telling, he's telling her, he's tell, she's telling him, God is in control. Don't forget that. And by the way, this is a very comforting idea. Because sometimes I always feel, at least in my own personal life, I always feel that God always gives you a certain amount of control in your life, but there is always a part in your life where you don't have control. You have an exam. You're going to study, you have control over that part. How hard the exam is and how well you do, there's an element that depends on God. There's a constant process of us trying to trust in Him and depend on Him. It says, And it shall come to pass, when the Lord has done for my Lord, according to all the good that He has spoken concerning you. She's telling him God spoke great promises about you. And He has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will, not, will be no grief to you, nor offense of your heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without a cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself, but when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maid servant. What is she telling him? She's telling him, David, you forgot something important. God is calling you to be a king, a king of Israel. So if you kill innocent blood now, now when you become a king, what's going to happen? You're going to, number one, you've already committed a blood a, 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 they call it a blood guilt sin you have killed innocent people so now you have blood on your hands and number two is that you yourself are not going to feel comfortable you guys I tell you guys something with those who walk with God sin breaks them makes them lose credibility makes them feel they are defeated So they have to go back and make up for it right away. So here she's telling him, don't forget where God is calling you to be. When somebody lives their life and they start, for example, committing certain sins like, you know, like maybe smoking and drinking and doing all this stuff. And then God says, don't forget that I'm calling you to become a mother. I'm calling you to become a father. I'm calling you to become a child of God. Why are you looking at the moment and leaving the big plans? Why are, you acting, why are you acting with so much anger now and stress as if today is not part of God's plan? Then David said to Abigail, look what David told her. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. What is David telling her? Told her, you came to me by who? By God. You know, like when you have somebody that come and send you a message that pierces your heart. And it's so true. With great humility. Don't underestimate that this could be from God himself. Nothing happens by a chance. Nothing happens by chance. He's telling her, you are sent from God. And when I, by the way, when I frame, when I frame things that are, that are sent by God, they make a big difference. I'll tell you guys something small. A while ago, I, I went to meet a monk. He, now he's in heaven. But people used to say that he sees saints all the time and he's very holy. So I went to ask him for an advice. Almost everything he told me, I've heard before. But it meant a lot more coming from him. And I asked myself, why does it mean a lot more coming from him? It is because I was convicted inside that he is the messenger of God. That conviction that God is speaking to us is important. That conviction that God is talking to us is important.
Okay? So she's telling, he's telling her, you are sent from God. That means David is going to take her message clearly. He's going to take it seriously. And he said, blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hands. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me surely by morning light, no male would have been left to Nebel. So David actually is telling her, you know what? I'm going to tell you what I was planning to do. I was planning to kill every male in the house of Nebel. And you have saved me from committing the sin. You know how, how Abigail saved him? By humility. The apology that she offered was not a normal apology. It was with great humility. People sense when we are genuine versus when we are fake. And when you are genuine, you open the heart of the person in front of you. Because if you continue to be not genuine with time, people will not recognize you when you're genuine or not genuine. Because you yourself will lose your identity. So David received from her hand what she has brought him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your, your, your person. So basically David told her, you know what, I, I'm going to get your gifts. No problem, you're safe, go home. I'm not going to kill anybody today. Your request is granted. What a very wise wife. See what happened. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry with him, within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore, he, she told him nothing, little or much, until the morning light. So last time I was telling you, Abigail brought all these gifts without telling her husband and we said because it was an urgent time i mean every a husband and a wife should always have transparency but because this was an urgent problem she needed to save them from dying so she ran with all the gifts to try to save the situation now she's going back to tell him what happened we said her husband is not very wise so after he treated david's servant so badly he didn't even think that he might come over and destroy him what did he do he went back drinking and eating as if nothing is happening. Look what Abigail did. When she saw him drunk, she left him alone. St. Gregory the Great said, correction should be offered when the mind is not intoxicated in order for it to be of any benefit. If you see somebody not ready to listen, don't speak. Because if you speak, you might promote anger. You have to prepare people to listen, especially if you're trying to correct them. Somebody's drunk, somebody's sad, somebody's angry, he's enraging. You can't speak at this moment. So she said, I will wait until tomorrow. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, that means he became sober, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Looks like when, when Abigail told him what happened the next morning, he almost had a stroke. Literally, he had a stroke. When he had a stroke, he says his heart became like a stone. We don't know why he had a stroke. Was it because he was drinking too much? Was it because he was too angry of, of what she did? Was it because he felt that he was, David was about to kill him and somehow he was saved? Nobody knows. But what, what Abigail told him made him so, made him overreact so much to the point that he had a stroke. And that also is a reflection of emotional immaturity. When somebody reacts to something so small like this in a way that kind of makes him crash, it shows that overall he was not developed, he did not develop his emotional maturity right. Then it happened about after 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. After 10 days, God allowed Nabal to die. 
Now, somebody might say, this is a consequence of what he did. We'll hold on to this thought until we read the verse 39 and, and uh, 39 first. It says, now, so when David heard that Nabal has died, he was dead, said, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servants from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own end, and David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as a wife. When David heard the news that Nabal died, he said, God took my revenge. I want to tell you guys something about this idea. The value of every human soul means the blood of Christ. It's so valuable to God. God is not killing Nabal because David. Nabal's full life is full of foolishness. That's why they called him foolish. Nabal means foolish. And God kept, in, kept giving him a chance after a chance after a chance after a chance. He doesn't listen. At the end of his life, God said, that's enough. Because God, Saul has been persecuting David. And God has not killed Saul. He's still giving him chances. But sometimes we look at somebody's misfortune as if like God is rewarding us. But the part that I like, what David said, he said, Blessed is the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach at the end of the pen, and he has kept his servants from evil. David realized that God is the one who kept him from doing evil at the hand of Abigail. One of the things I, I don't like when people come say, Abuna, I could have gotten angry, but I held myself. No. Blessed is the Lord who held you from doing evil. Blessed is the Lord who held you from doing evil. How many times does God intervene to make me not commit adultery, to make me not lie, to make me not cheat, to make me remember my old relationship with him, my first love, my bond with him? How many times does he come and remind me? Now, David, obviously he liked Abigail because of her great humility. So once Nabal died, he sent to marry her. When the servants of David have come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to ask you to become his wife. When the messenger told him that, that Nabal died, he said, this woman is gold. You see, the Bible, by the way, does not talk about her looks, her appearance. He talks about her wisdom, her righteousness. Talks about her wisdom and her righteousness. Look what she did when David came to propose to her. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maid servant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Abigail, be very interesting character. In front of the servants of David, David is not there. She acted so politely as if David was present. And she bowed down to their servant and she told them what? I am happy to wash the feet, not of David, but the servants of David. Obviously, I wanna, we want to kind of use this idea for, for, for our times. Obviously, Abigail as a person is humble. But see, imagine you are one of the servants of David. You're one of his servants. And you saw that this is his new wife. How would you feel? You'll be like, wow, this woman is gold. She's so humble. She says she would wash the feet of his servants. Who would say this? This is nonsense. The way that I could come, especially when I'm in a position of authority, and come with humility, like the Bible says, those who win souls are wise. Every person in, in, in their life at some point 
they become in a position of authority. Whether you're a manager, you're a father, you're a mother, you're a servant. How will you treat people that are supposed to be under you? This is what she did. This is what she did. Obviously, it's not clear that whether David or Abigail took the property of Nabal. The Bible doesn't mention it. But it, wasn't, it didn't seem that David was interested in the property as much in her. In, in, in her. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens and, she, maiden, maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Abigail, uh, she, was actually, she, she, she bore a child, it was David's second child, it's mentioned in 1 Chronicle 3 and also 2 Samuel 3. And she came with five young virgins with her. Reminds you of the parable of the virgins in Matthew 25. Because the customs of the wedding kept going on from generation to generation. We're talking about David the prophet is about a thousand years before Christ. So the custom of people, marry, the woman marrying and taking five of her maidens with her, it is very common at that time. Now, and David took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them were his wives. So David, it seems like he also married another woman, and that seemed to be for a political reason. I just want to stop here to talk about the idea of polygamy. Marrying more than one person in the Old Testament. This, the idea of marrying more than one person in the Old Testament is a shortcoming of the people in the Old Testament. If we look in Genesis 2, from 21 to 24, God said he created one man for one woman to become one flesh. And the first person that married more than one wife was in Genesis 4, when Ismu Lamech, he became the first person to marry two wives. And nothing in the Old Testament is recorded that gives permission to people to marry more than one wife. So people committed this out of their own, like our Lord Jesus Christ, hardness of the heart. out of the hardness of the heart. People in the Old Testament kept following their pleasure. Instead of trying to obey the commandments of God, they, meant they remained marrying to one. They, remained, they, they tried to marry more than one woman. That's why God, later on, he put some requirement for the Nazarites, for the, for the, for the kings, to only marry one wife. Now we see that People, whenever God gives us something beautiful, we as human messes it up. But the Old Testament, when he's telling that David married another wife, he's not approving of it. He's just telling us what happened. He's not saying this is right or wrong. Okay? And but Saul had given Michal his daughter, because remember David married Saul's daughter, Michal. So Saul, to make David angry, he took his own daughter, she was married to David, and gave it to another man. And he probably thought that this will make him politically weaker. Made him, make him what? Politically weaker. And this makes you feel and understand how people in the Old Testament did not value the sacrament of marriage as much as we do. Well, as much as God does because remember, when God wanted to talk about the church, he said, I am coming to marry the church. Our whole, the biggest analogy and imagery that takes throughout the whole Bible is Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. One bride, not multiple brides. All of us are the body of God, body of church. The church is the body of Christ. Humanity have ruined a beautiful image that God has given. Now we're going to move to chapter 26. Now the Zephites came to Saul at Geba, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakilal, opposite of Jeshimon? 
So we'll just kind of remind you guys. You guys remember last time Saul and David had an encounter. Saul was in a cave and David could kill him. But David told him, look, I cut a small part of your rope. I could have killed you. I let you go. I'm nobody. Please don't run after me. I'm a very simple man. And Saul went on. And since then, Saul never initiated running after David. Now, the same people that went to Saul the first time, they went again to him the second time. The first time, Saul was actively searching for David. This time, he wasn't. But those people are people who are evil. They try to stir up problem between others. And the way they stir up problem is by flattering. You know, like when you know somebody in power and he doesn't like certain people. So you're going to continue come and tell him bad news about those people. So you can always feel that you're close to him or her. Flattering. Does it work? It does work. Is it good? It's evil. It's evil. That's why even in our life here, even in America, we see, in, in America, the two political party systems. And constantly people trying to spread evil and negative news about each other. People made loyalty to a certain political party higher than loyalty to principles. It's more, I belong to a group, I don't belong to principles. So some people do this. They come and cause problems. That's why it's always important not to be careful about sharing your frustration with somebody, with people. Because if you keep sharing with everybody, people will know this is your weak point. You're going to come, and lots of rumors are going to go around. Lots of problems are going to go around. And it's, gonna, it's never going to go away. If it goes away, it's going to cause a lot of damage. Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Zeph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Zeph. Even though Saul last time promised David, told him, I'm not going to run after you. But again, he has a weakness. And remember last time I told you his repentance was not true. He just reacted at the moment and then went on and do, doing his own thing. And that happens quite often. If I, don't, if I don't take serious action with my decisions, all the work that God is doing in my life and the grace that comes will be lost after some time. Every decision requires lifestyle change. So here, he said, Saul, again, he goes around and goes around to find, find, kill David, even though he completely told him, I'm not going to run after you. And Saul encamped in the hill of, ha of Hakilah, which is opposite of Jeshimon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped, and David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abiner, this is the head of the army, of the, of the son of Ner, the commander of his army, now, uh, now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped around, all around him. So basically what happened, Saul took 3,000 people, the best of his army. Secret service, top people. Okay? And basically, he's going to kill David. So Saul is in the middle, and all his men around him, in a circle. And David was looking at it from a hill, seeing what's happening. He saw that Saul is in the middle, they're all around him. Look what David did. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai the son of Zerwa, the brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. Let's just kind of break this down a little bit more. David had a plan. What is the plan? Again, wants to tell Saul, I do not want to kill you. I want, I want us to, have, to live in peace. That's what he's trying to tell him. So he's, he asked, even though David has 600 people of his friends, he asked only two. Okay, one of them is Ahimelech and the other one is Abishai. Abishai actually is related to David. 
Abishai is the son of Zerwah, the brother of Joab, appears in the first time you will see him uh, in First Chronicles, and he actually is the son of David's sister. So he's, it's his nephew. So his nephew told him, you know what, I'm going to go with you. Look, be careful. Why is this important? When David goes with one other person to try to break through the army of Saul, it shows that he's not coming to fight. He's coming in peace. He's coming what? In peace. And that's important. How I present myself to people in certain situations could calm them down significantly. 3,000 people want to kill him. He took one of his, he took his nephew and went. And he also, by the way, David is a wise leader. He asked him, do you want to come or no? Doesn't force anybody. So David and Abishai came to the people by night and their soul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear struck to the ground by his head and Abinair and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth and I will not have to strike him a second time. Remember, this is the same situation that happened in the cave. Saul is right here. David is right next to him. And David's nephew is telling him, kill him now. This is your chance. God has delivered your enemy to you. What is, what is significant about this? David, if you compare this chapter with the chapter before, you will see the same action by Saul and the same response by David. Sometimes when people repeat their mistakes, after they say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, and all this stuff, they repeat the mistakes. We get more frustrated. We get more angry. We want to hold more resentment. We don't want to forgive. This is man going to kill him. This is not a joke. But David kept his principles. Kept his principles. David says, I'm not going to kill him. Imagine, and I'm looking at the scene, I'm saying, David and his nephew are out of their mind. 3,000 people are sleeping and they are arguing. You know, if somebody wakes up, they're going to kill both of them. That's what's happening. And by the way, David's nephew told him, you don't have to kill him, David. I'll kill him for you. He said, no, because I am responsible for your action. This is sometimes something we do, is that there's an action that I could stop, and I have the power to stop, and I don't stop it. And I say, it's not me. Somebody else. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointment, anointed and be guiltless? David still told him the same thing. We have a principle. You cannot kill the, the Lord's anointed. You know, it's, it's like what? It's like, for example, when people talk bad about, for example, uh, uh, leaders in the church. Sometimes people do this in their own homes. Some people have strong principles. We're not going to talk bad about the leaders of the church. Why? Not because of the leaders, but because it will make the people in the house stumble and not be able to worship. So here he's telling him, no, I have a principle. I will not do this principles and it, it's a nice a nice a nice exercise for each one of us as we face situations I always ask myself what is the principle in question David said furthermore as the Lord lives he shall strike him or his day shall come to die or he shall go out to the battle and perish so David told him look the, the Lord will revenge he's either going to die one day something's going to happen to him He's going to go to war and he'll be dead. David here 
is doing two things. One, he's expressing what's inside of his heart, which is at this point, remember when David started, he was so pure, he couldn't even see Saul getting angry with him. Now over the years, he still allowed some resentment to get to his heart. But at least he still controlled himself from evil action. But also here, he's trying to calm down his nephew. His nephew is also outcasted because of Saul. So he's telling him, look, God will take care of it. We're going to have to leave. The Lord forbid that I shall stretch out my hand against the Lord anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So, so David told him, look, take the spear and the, and, and, the, and the jug of water next to him and let's leave. St. Athanasius said something beautiful here. He said, unlike David who persuaded his men with reason, Rulers who force their will by decree, then in straight that their wisdom is corrupted. If I cannot convince people and inspire them, then most likely I have a flaw in my own logic and my own wisdom. So David here convinced his nephew with the words of God. So they took they took the spear and the jar of water. So David took the spear and the jar of water by Saul's head. So they got away and no man saw or, or knew it or, or awoke for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Look, if we are truly from our heart trying to create peace between people with a humility, trying to create love between people, God will be on your side. If you try to create division, if you try to create problems between people, if you try to become self-seeking, the results will be unpredictable. Here, God put a sleep upon them. So what? So the story can, we'll see what will happen later. Now David went to the other side and stood on the top of the hill afar off and a great distance be, be, being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abinar, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abinar? Then Abinar answered and said, Who are you? Calling out to the king. So David, he took the spear and the jar of water that was next to Saul. He's trying to tell him that I was right next to you. I could have killed you. He stood at the hill and he started crying out to the head of the army. And he's telling him, Abinar, are you doing your job? I came all the way to come. I came all the way to the king. I was able to take things that are so close to him and he did nothing. Obviously, David is talking to who? To Saul. But because Saul is the king, he's not going to attack him personally. So politely, he started attacking or giving the, getting the blame on his commander. Since Ephraim the Syrian said something beautiful. He said, David called to Abinor from the mountaintop, signifies Jesus, who is in his heavenly kingdom, preaches to the people of Israel through the apostles. The questions he utters foreshadows the loss of the Israelite kingdom and the temple worship. Parallel is found between the experience and the suffering of David and the son of David as both were persecuted by an enemy. So he's saying that David calling on the mountain to Saul is almost like God calling us from heaven. He's saying, see, I could have let you die, but I will spare you. Even though you're seeking my life, you're going to crucify me. So David said to Abinar, are you not a man? When he says, are you not a man, he means, aren't you like the secret service? Aren't you like the main guy who's supposed to protect the president? Who is like you in Israel? You have not, why then have you not guarded your Lord the King? For one of the people came to destroy your, your Lord the King. He's telling him, you're supposed to be secret service, supposed to be the strongest man here. Somebody came at night and tried to kill the King. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. Because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was by his head. 
Again, David is sending the message to Saul in an indirect way. And by the way, I, I mentioned this one time before. This idea is very helpful for us, especially when we work or where we work with our teachers or professors. There's a concept together in, in, in corporate America or even in the world, it's called managing up. How can I send the feedback to somebody in a higher authority than me? Because sometimes if I complain or I bring it in a negative way, it might be taken against me. So sometimes the way I could bring it could be in a great, in a wise way that reflects more of the weakness of the system or the improvements that could be made rather than attacking attacking the people in, in, in leadership. Because when I attack the people in leadership, sometimes you get nowhere. So David here is very smart. He said, if I attack Saul, this is not going to make us be on good terms. I'm going to attack the people who are supposed to protect him. Then Saul knew David's voice. Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my lord, O king. Again, every time Saul sees himself in a bad situation and David could have killed him, he again feels bad again, feels guilty again. He says, I should not have done this. Why did I have this, done this? It's almost like a, a repeated pattern in the life of Saul. He comes to the point where he, he allows his envy and jealousy to almost lead him to his own death. And he realizes that he's wrong. But he doesn't take any serious action. He gets up again. And he said, this is David speaking, Why does my Lord thus pursue his servants? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? He's telling him, why do you still go after me? What have I done to you? Obviously, David didn't do anything to Saul. He has been a faithful servant to him. Now, therefore, please, let my lord the king hear the words of his servants. You see, this is an art of speaking. He always tells people, would you allow me to speak? Let me finish, and then you speak. Otherwise, I I, we won't be able to uh, coordinate the conversation. If the lord has stirred, up, uh, stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. What is David saying? He's saying, look, if you're running after me because I did something wrong, let me simply offer a sacrifice and repent and call it a day. So you do something wrong in the Old Testament, just like here in the church, you confess and repent. In the Old Testament, you had to offer a sacrifice. Told me, if I did something wrong, let me offer a sacrifice, repent, and call it a day. But if you're running after me because some people are speaking bad in your head about me, then they may be cursed. But then, why is David cursing them? This is what's interesting. He said, because they are driving me out of the land because they want me to worship other gods. So David... This is a beautiful part in David's heart. He's not sad that Saul is pursuing him and he's living in the desert. He's sad that he cannot come to church and worship. He cannot go to the temple and pray. That's what made him sad. That's what made him sad. In the old days, people had this understanding that Worship is always related to a place, a location. So if he does not worship in Jerusalem, it means he can't worship. So then, if he lives in another land outside Jerusalem, is he going to worship other gods? So I said, people have been pushing me outside because they want me to worship other gods. And this is a very logical thing what David sings, telling him, tell me what I did. And this is a good way to, to use. So if you did something wrong, to, if somebody's upset with you, tell, tell me what I did. If I did something wrong, maybe I could apologize and make it up for you. If I didn't do anything wrong, then why are you after me? So now, do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. 
For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as one who, heart, who hunts a, porter, a partridge on the mountains. He's telling him, obviously now David is in a, in a hill and Saul sees him. He can surround the hill and kill him. It's no problem now. So David is in Saul's hand. But David's telling him, do not let my blood fall to the earth. This is by the way reminds us of the blood of Abel. Who fell to the earth and the Bible says the blood of God told, told him the blood of your brother cries to me from the ground, from the earth. So he told him do not kill an innocent blood today. And he told him again who are you going after? I am a flea. I'm a fly. I am a partridge. Partridge is kind of a bird. I'm a bird on a mountain. You are a great king. Who are you going after? It's almost like you have so much things in your life going on. You know, you have your schools, you have your work, you have your responsibilities, you have everything. And what's taking most of your thoughts is somebody that's making you angry. You're letting a flea, you're letting a flea take all your energy. And the core and the important stuff, you're not giving it any attention. And David, again, the best way to always fight back at the devil is through humility. He's telling him, I am nobody. I am a flea. I am a flea. It's nice sometimes when I see myself the least of everybody. Not in terms of talents, but in terms of worthiness. I'm talented, but I'm not worthy. And that's a true inner feeling of a humble person. And it's a place where God likes to dwell. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return to my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played a fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spears. Let one of your young men come over to get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord deliver you into my hands today. But I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much in this day, this day in my, my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. So David told him, I want you to kind of watch about a couple of things in this passage. One, Saul told him, okay, I love you, let's go back. David refused. Even though Saul repented, but David knew, knows that this man is not stable. And again, this is the boundary between forgiveness and wisdom. If I know somebody struggling with something, I forgive them, but I don't have to put myself in the same situation. Doesn't make any sense. Okay, that's number one. Number two, look what David told him. He told him, I have found your life precious in my own eyes. May the Lord find my life precious in his own eyes. This, David didn't tell him, I want you to find also my life precious in yours. He told him, I value your life. And I pray that God would value mine. You see the beauty of David? He did not want to put his trust in a man, in a person. One of the worst things was uh, one of the things that makes us frustrated a lot when I have a lot of expectations from people. I've done this for you. I'm expecting this. No. I treat the Lord himself. I've done this to you. Not to you. I've done it to God. I have found your life precious because God finds my life precious. It's not an eye for an eye. It's not an eye for an eye. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. By the way, obviously Saul here recognizes that David will be successful based on his action as a child of God. 
But this is the last time that Saul and David meet. Next time, Saul will die and they no longer see each other again. That's the end of it. But we saw from these two passages how Abigail was able to control the anger of David and how David was able to control the anger of Saul. One of the things I want to yani, leave, uh, leave you guys with, David, he was a leader of 600 people. And for you, when you become in a power of authority, sometime in a position of authority, sometime you feel like, you know, I, I deserve the respect. In order for you to be in a place of authority and still humble yourself like he did, it shows a special heart inside. Somebody, for example, they, they see themselves as a medical doctor or as a businessman or as a big manager or as whatever it is. Okay? They feel that they have some sort of authority. But at some point, can they also humble themselves in front of anybody to gain peace, to gain love? And that's why it was much difficult for David. It's, well, David obviously is a child of God, but I'm saying it could have been difficult for him if he allowed himself to enjoy a privileged life. But up to this point, he was able to easily do it because he still lived a life, obviously he struggled, but a life of humility, a life of a child of God. That's why he was able to humble himself and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.